Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Super Show podcast on what is a blisteringly hot day here for myself and Mr. Alex Jones in sunny old England. I think it's 31 degrees? Sweltering. Uh, something like that. It's bloody hot is all I know. Yeah, I apologise in advance if either of us end up in absolute state by the end of this recording. It's more likely <laughs> going to be me. I feel like Jonesy actually copes quite well in this weather. And Jonesy, you've brought a defence mechanism with you that I need <laughs> the people at home to know about immediately. Yeah, if, if anyone hears this, <laughs> slightly wet noise, oh. it's because... Yeah, it's because I'm once again in the garage studio and it is stupid hot out here. So my and I didn't want a fan because I thought it would mess with the microphone. I've got a bucket of cold water and I've put my feet in, and so that is keeping me cool. It's so hot, it's ridiculous. Oh, and in a peek behind the curtain that absolutely nobody asked for, the second Josie turned his camera on when we came on Discord, he lifted his foot up and showed me just the underside of his wet. No, don't, don't. Oh. We've done it. The first ever appearance of a foot on the Super Show podcast. If anyone out there has got, a, you know, is into feet, then we've just gained a subscriber. Do you know what? And maybe even a patron along the way. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, just the two-man operation this week. Myself and Jonesy, unfortunately, the stars didn't quite align in getting Chris on here. But I'm sure he'll be back and ready to rock and roll next week. So maybe leave a, I don't know, a funny comment, a heartwarming comment in the comment section down below. Because no doubt he'll read it and it will make him feel good about the fact that even though he wasn't here in person, he was still here in spirit. Huh? Can we, can, if anyone out there is, um, is what, I don't know what the word is, like, not linguistically inclined, what's the writing version of linguistically inclined? But a, a haiku about missing Chris Ooh, and welcoming him back okay. would be lovely. I like that. I, I like a haiku. I'm a fan of the haiku. So if Who someone out there is better with words than me. That I always think that haikus sound good in theory, but whenever I hear one out loud, I'm like, that didn't sound right. They always sound too abrupt. And they never quite flow right. I don't know if that's just my ears. No, I think you're right in a lot of sense. The one I often try and remember that I'm not actually that great at remembering is the one from Fight Club that the narrator tells, which is, um, is it uh, queen, queen Bees? Queen Bees are the real slaves. Even drones can fly away. Or so, no, it's, it's, it's Bees... These are how free even drones can fly see, away. The queen is their slave or something like that. that see, that sounds all right. But I feel like 95% of the haikus I hear, if I were to try, I don't know the rules of haikus. I need to clarify that <laughs> outright. Um, so I'm going to get this wrong. But I feel like the haikus I hear are like, Jonesy is on a podcast. He's recording a microphone. No shoes. <laughs> and it's like, hang on a second. That can't just end there. That doesn't sound like an ending. Uh yeah, I've read quite a few haikus, and I think the better ones, for sure, are the, the ones that work and make sense all the way through. They don't just add a bit yeah, at the end. Exactly. They had they had spare syllables. That's like. why I'm, I've always been more of a limerick guy. Shoot me. You know what? I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Um, yeah, well, it's been an interesting week, to say the least, Jonesy. Maybe not much in the way of conventional news, but there's certainly been a lot to talk about, whether it's hot new releases in the video game world or online happenings that we're going to get stuck into but before we get to any of that we have to say of course a huge thank you to the people that make this podcast possible that keep this crazy train on the tracks week in week out and that is our wonderful ever ever supportive excuse me patrons over on patreon.com forward slash super show and we have to give shout outs this week to brett zerbrig aka shellshock hacksaw book read mindful pig nathan piers peaswad the dude abides tristan harris william sherry New man Manuel Guerrero, probably the hottest, freshest name on the list of patrons. You could change that. That is a good if name. You started man. supporting us yourself. Yeah. 
Sounds like an sounds like an actor. Sounds like an actor, a wrestler. Obviously, we had Eddie Guerrero back in the day. May he rest in peace. And of course, the two top dogs, the big men, Lonnie Thompson and Skylar Music. Thank you all so much. Whether you've supported us, past, present, or indeed future, nudge, nudge, hint, hint. Um, it all means a lot, and it's kind of crazy that that we're still doing this fucking thing. I don't know. Yeah, we're still going. This is this is number twenty-seven. But no, seriously, thank you to all the patrons. You guys are incredible. Yes. Um, uh, you 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 really do. Make us think well, there's a reason to keep on cracking on. <laughs> yeah, when we're uh, about to give up all hope and nothing else seems worth doing. Um, to be fair, the subscribers as well. Like, let me yeah. let me not um, miss any of those guys out. With all the subscribers on YouTube and all the people that watch us across platforms, it's wicked to have have you all. So thank exactly. you very much. And I'm sure as many of you listen and or watch this on a regular basis, you've heard this all before. But I will tell you just in case you had forgotten or maybe you hadn't heard before. That we are not just on YouTube, but if you want to listen to this podcast in an audio-only format, maybe, get rid of our ugly faces. We are available <laughs> on pretty much every podcast platform you can imagine. If there's one that we're not available on, it's probably not worth using, and maybe you should consider you know, rethinking your life choices at the end of the day. Um, and hey, if- See, you... I have to stop you. You yeah. say, then you don't have to see our ugly faces. I think I look quite dashing today because I've gone the semi peaswad. Look, I've got you, hair, you are like, going a little bit peasy in in the yeah. uh, the big thick hair. Have, you've done a uh, at home haircut, haven't you? At some point, I have, I have, but it's it's coming back with a vengeance. Peaswad, in case people don't know, uh, well, you just heard he's one of our patrons, and he has big hair, mm. and I feel like I'm channeling him today. He always sticks up as well, so it always looks bigger than it is. What does the wife think? Uh, what about my yeah. my hair? Yeah, she t- she um she hates it and loves it in equal measure because. She, um, her hair doesn't grow. It gets to like <laughs> this, it gets like this length because it's, it's curly. It gets yeah. to this length. She straightens it. It's like this length, never gets any longer. Um, and my hair is like, I want to say, so if I grab like the back of my hair, so this is going to be really boring for people listening. If I do that with just that clump of hair, yes. it's thicker than all of her hair on her head. <laughs> like wow. she gets it in a ponytail. So she, um, she, yeah, she's, she's annoyed by my hair, but loves it at the same time. I see you kind of you're overcompensating for her lack of hair thickness with your luscious locks. Yeah, and then one of my one of my kids, one of my boys has got my hair. Yeah, and then what the other one has got her hair. So, so it's quite it's quite interesting. One of them's going to have your hair by the time he's in his thirties. The other one's going to be bald. Is that what you're saying? He won't be bald, <laughs> but the so the other ones. But he's also he's got like the she's got the curly fine hair like she's got, but. Um, it's whereas hers is black, my but then his is blonde like mine was when I was little. So he's got a little blonde curly mop on top of his head, which is really fine. Bless him. Yeah, that actually sounds like me and my brother. I feel like that's more often than not something like that happens. Two brothers who are kind of similar in many ways, but things like eyes and hair always a little bit of variation. Funny that genetics. I think that's what genetics. they call it in the scientific Indeed. community. Anyway, before we uh, move on from that little talk about podcast platforms, I will also just sh- say that if you're on one that allows you to leave a review, then we'd be it would be greatly appreciated if you considered doing so, especially if that review were in the, I don't know, maybe five-star territory, not trying to, you know, make your mind up for you, but just putting it out there, because that hugely helps us with visibility and welcoming more people into the Super Show family. And someone who recently joined the Super Show family, Jonesy, is actually... Our comment of the week, and it comes from Zach in the Box, who on last week's episode said, been meaning to become a Patreon for a while, finally did, and then immediately got to the foreskin discussion. (laughs) Hmm. We can but apologise. Yeah. I'm not (laughs) sure if that meant 
that he was about to sign up, and then he heard the foreskin discussion and thought, nah, I've got better ways to spend my money. <laughs> I'm out. He pulled out, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Although we were, so, yeah, we, I have to say that... <laughs> Discussions like that are not that common on the podcast, but they will now, not specifically around foreskin, feature in the um, the new podcast that we've been doing. I think we've sort of done probably averaging two a month at the moment, yeah. um, or maybe two every two weeks, something, uh, which is the After Dark. So it is uh, the super show After Dark, where rather than just stick to uh, sort of like computer games, a bit of movies and TV, we sort of venture out, we talk about all different things. Um, and that is a Patreon exclusive podcast. It is indeed. Um, which is a lot of fun to record because it's a very different sort of... Yeah. We, we're a bit more relaxed, aren't we? A bit more chilled out. Exactly. We just kind of try and let it flow. I think in the last episode that went out, we ended up talking about being in front of camera and being on mics and how we had to adapt to that kind of lifestyle and uh, how <laughs> nervous sometimes we still are about doing all that stuff despite uh, years, theoretically, in the game, so to speak. It's weird. Absolutely, yeah. Anyway, yeah, if that sounds like your cup of tea, that's another one of the many perks you can find by signing up for the Patreon. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash super show. And it's not just the After Dark. There are other little bits and pieces as well that we throw out there as patron-exclusive bits of content, um, one of which we're actually going to talk about later on in the podcast, so keep an ear out for that. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, then um, then maybe uh, consider signing up and joining the family. But anyway, Jonesy, uh, let's talk about what we've been playing because that's what we do on this podcast before we get to the really heavy shit. <laughs> Indeed. So um, I have played, I think I've only played two games mm. uh, since last week, and these will come as no surprise to anyone. Yep. Um, one of them I can talk about, the other one I can't talk about, obviously, for a number of reasons. First one is Warzone, because um, you, Chris, and I, we played. Um, we had a stream on Chris's uh, Twitch with Hot Panic. Yep. Um, yeah, and I had probably the most shocking... Uh, day on Warzone I've had for a long time because um, yeah like I haven't, I haven't played for a long time on the PlayStation I hopped back in with a controller and it was diabolical yeah. it was not going well for me that day but I, I always have a lot of fun when I'm streaming with you boys so we, we played like what four games maybe maybe yeah five, we, we had a decent decent session it felt like I can't remember how, exactly how long it was so that was cool that was good to jump in with you guys even I think the best finish we had was like fourth and I'm pretty sure that was only because you were still alive and Chris and I was both dead. <laughs> um, but um, no, what I've been playing the most of this week is, of course, The Last of Us Part 2. Yes, indeed. Um, of which I've actually streamed all of it. Um, I've streamed all 10 hours now Yeah. Um, that I've played of that game. Uh, with no webcam, just just voice, because obviously PlayStation, I don't have a PlayStation camera, yeah. which you need in order to stream uh, to Twitch. I am loving that game so far i think it's fantastic i'm only so i'm 10 hours in um i don't want to talk about any story stuff because obviously anyone listening to this no spoilers i'm not going to ruin anything Uh, i know jamie you finished it so you're a lot farther along than i am yeah well yeah because you finished it (laughs) so i'm i suppose i'm nearly halfway through if if i finish it in the same sort of time that i think you did yeah might probably take me a little bit longer like so maybe i'm i'm 10 hours into maybe 25 hours of gameplay uh so I, I'm not spoiling. Well, no, I, can't, I don't know what I can say. I've I've encountered. Oh no, I think I can. It's fine. So so I think they talked a lot before the game came out about dogs, about do- how dogs would now feature in the game. Yeah, I hate them. <laughs> I can't stand the dogs. <laughs> they are the most annoying things in the fucking world. Uh, so, so I'm a terrible stealth game player anyway because I've 
I'm not patient. I, the whole I was chatting about it on stream last night with a couple of the guys as well. I think uh, Hacksaw Book Reed and um, uh, Peaswater were in the chat, and we were sort of talking about stealth. And I was saying about how I've always liked the idea of stealth games like Thief and other things, but I've never been able to get into them because yeah. um, I'm just not patient. And the whole and we played Sniper Elite on stream with ATG one time, and I think you guys remember that. Literally thirty seconds in, I get bored and I just start running around, and people <laughs> see me, and it all goes yeah. horribly wrong. That's the Jonesy trademark, I feel like. So. Um, but but at least with Last of Us, you could sort of like take a knee in a bush, bide your time, look at the the pattern, the patterns, figure out what you're going to do. The dogs throw that all out the window because as soon as they stumble upon your scent path, they follow it straight to you, mm-hmm. um, which completely throws everything out of the wa- out of the window. Because if you're trying to sit there and be careful, um, so yeah. So last night I got a, a brand new tactic, which is shoot the dogs in the face like at the first opportunity sprint off somewhere hide you will hear a number of eight npcs going not my dog but it's <laughs> yeah. got to be done uh, and then play the section as normal um yeah <laughs> which is what I've, been, I, what I've been trying to do i feel like everyone went into that game with the best intentions when it came to how they would handle the dogs but as soon as you're in one of those scenarios where there are dogs and you realize just how dangerous they can be to your state of stealth then it's like it all goes out the window and before you know it there's one animation where if you basically go to kill a dog and you don't have, with melee and you're up close and you don't have a weapon in your hand, Ellie basically goes up to it and just stabs it three times in the neck and it lets out yeah. this really horrible whimper. And you guys know I'm not a dog person, but even I can concede that watching a dog get stabbed to death, like, poor. I know there's a lot of shit in this game, but I can watch endless amounts of humans have their throats slit and all sorts, but one dog and you're kind of like, Jesus Christ, this is dark. <laughs> Someone actually commented on the stream yesterday that because um, I ended up doing that exact thing mm. uh, probably about four or five times. Like I got, <laughs> I got, I died at least three times in one section because there was like three dogs, seven or eight people. It was, it was, you know, bit too, he- bit too hectic. So I ended up having to knife multiple dogs multiple times. Um, and someone commented uh, that I'd gone the full Jamie. <laughs> I was just <laughs> killing the dogs. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I put my hands up and say that I have defended myself when it's come to dogs previously of course the infamous far cry stream where i accidentally blew up a dog with a rocket launcher it was an honest accidentally didn't see it i will full and put my hands up and say i very intentionally slaughtered multiple dogs because i got to the same point as you did jonesy which when i entered a situation where there was a dog my first thought was get the silence pistol or the bow and kill that dog now before it even gets my scent because I don't like being chased by dogs. And they they eat your face off. They eat your face they off. They literally, they bite, I got bit and hit like across the face, like Ellie's head was like, ah, and yep. death. Um, but it's, it's, it, oh, th- when that game though, so I, like I said, I'm not going to give any spoilers, um, but if I'm talking like vagaries, so the section where I had multiple dogs, multiple people, mm-hmm. um, I'd taken out a few of the dogs, then there was still a, a few people around. I ended up sort of almost running sort of using the bow, taking out a dog, they people would react and be like, oh, there must be people around. I would sprint, get into the long grass with no one seeing me, headshot people, switch positions, which I was I was having a lot more luck with than I was in um, sort of pure stealth mode. So I was sort of active stealth, I guess you would call it. Like I would sprint to position, get into cover, headshot, sprint, bow shot. Um, but then I got into a sticky situation and then the ru- the running i think i said to you this on whatsapp mm. when that game for me is is on point is when you are you feel overwhelmed and that might be in a section where you could have taken out all the enemies or it might be a section where it's obvious you can't 
But the point at which you decide to, hey, I can't do this, I'm going to turn and run, that game is amazing. When you're running and it's dynamic and you're shooting clickers or humans or dogs and you're then like mantling over um, things and trying to like climb fences, it is so good. Like th- These are easily my favourite sections of the game mm-hmm. and that seems to flow with the infected sections or indeed with the um, uh, the human sections is you, you know where you're going and it drives you to go... F- you know, from this point to that point, I think we've talked about as well before that it ha- it will literally say to you, you can address this in multiple ways. You can um, fight your way through, you can uh, and kill everyone. You can stealth your way through, kill a few people and get out, or you can sometimes avoid combat altogether. Yeah. Um, and those options, it, it it makes that game so fun on a story level. Like I'm playing through a medium uh, combat, I found a bit tricky, but it's never too it's never too tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and massively enjoying it. Ten hours in, I'm I'm with it until the end of this rate. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I think I'd echo a lot of what you just said. If we're going to talk sort of in fairly generic terms about the gameplay and avoid any discussions about story, because I think it's still only fair that we give people who are playing or about to play it the same respect as we would have wanted this time last week. Um, the way I always thought about it was that there are lots of stealth games out there that I've enjoyed and, and have played a lot of in the past. You think about like your Metal Gears and your Arkham's, and sometimes they put in a focus on stealth where it's like, if stealth gets broken, it's all about reacquiring stealth. You think about how many situations in the Arkham games there are where you're fighting enemies who have firearms and machine guns, and it's very upfront about the fact that Batman is actually weak to that shit. If you get spotted sure, in yeah. Arkham, it's like, throw down a smoke bomb and try and get an event or grapple up to one of the gargoyles and get out of there because you don't want to be on the ground level with these dudes. The Last of Us was kind of this different situation where I played the way I usually play stealth games. I try and stay hidden for as long as I can, and inevitably at some point I get spotten. Spotten? <laughs> I get spotten. I got, I get, sometimes I get spotten. Um, and when, and when, I get, when I get spotten, um, it almost transitions, and this is kind of what you were saying with the whole running around thing, transitions into this different style of game that revels in the way i described it to you guys the other day it revels in the chaos of broken stealth that idea of it almost feels like what's actually happening is a group of people who are patrolling an area suddenly realize there's a crazy chick with a gun running around and all hell is breaking loose and what that's where you really start to notice the differences between joel from last of us and ellie in the last of us part two in how maneuverable she is sprinting around these environments jumping through windows there are all these little cracks that she can really quickly slip through and they're very uh, prominently placed throughout a lot of these encounters for that reason and then you throw in what jones was saying about going able to go prone how many environments and objects they put in the environments that you can go underneath like cars or beds inside houses and stuff like that and you're underneath and ellie can still shoot while she's prone like max Payne. like she can still do a full 360 while she's on her back and shoot around her and everything just feels so fluid. And I feel like I come out of every one of those battles. I've used up a med kit. I've used two Molotovs. I've run out of pistol ammo. And my heart is pounding. And it's like, oh, I made it. Time to try and find some shit. Try and find some cloth and some alcohol. And then we go again. And it, it, it's a very riveting and engaging loop that I think... I disagree with people who think that, that there are elements of The Last of Us 2's gameplay that are a little bit static and haven't moved much since the first one. I think when the stealth is at its most mundane and you're crouch walking from clicker to clicker, pressing triangle to stealth kill, it feels almost unforgivably like the first one. But overall, it doesn't. I think it's come a long way. I think they've made a lot of improvements 
and it feels like a really dynamic, exciting stealth action game with horror elements, survival elements too. I, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think you're bang on. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's one of those. It's, it's also one of those things that, on top of all the awesome gameplay, uh, the story um, so far like is engaging. I want to find out what happens to these characters. I want to know where I'm going. Um, yeah, I don't know if that will maintain. Like, obviously, uh, they've been. I haven't I haven't read any spoilers, luckily, um, but I've seen some sort of negative reaction to some story elements mm-hmm. that I don't I know nothing about, um, and so it could turn out that actually I think those story elements are completely fine, um, and maybe it's those in those people just didn't like it for sort of um, you know different reasons. Yep. But I'm I'm the 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 the, the gameplay is yeah is is fantastic. Yeah. Um. I I had a section in ah uh, no I can't even talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. But there was there was something they that Naughty Dog did right that before I felt they did wrong in other games. Um. Well, that I don't want to spoil. And I was so happy that it felt awesome and okay. that I had a lot of fun doing it. And it was a cool uh it was a cool part of the game. Okay. And it and it and it jived with me. I'll tell you after. We'll get into okay. it. Um, and I'll, I'll mention it. I will say that we we've mentioned this before and it's definitely still in the books. Anyone who wants us wants to hear us talk about The Last of Us 2 in broad, open terms, you know, discussing the story and its various twists and turns and uh, things like the part that Jonesy just then wanted to reference but obviously couldn't, we do still plan to record at some point a Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast, similar to what we did for the Final Fantasy VII remake when Chris and I finished that. The only issue being, obviously, The Last of Us 2, not a particularly short game, uh, so we need to give some time for Chris and Jonesy to be able to get through it, hopefully remain spoiler-free, and uh, we shall record that when we are able to. So look forward to that if you are, once again, uh, a member of the Patreon. Indeed. Uh, but that's me. That is, that is. On, although I have watched a couple of movies, let me, re- let me talk about sure, two. Sure, yeah. Do it for it. What did I, did I, these will be really quick, but one of them I think I may have mentioned last week. Maybe I didn't. Uh, was Gemini, the Will Smith one. I don't think I did mention oh, it. Oh, Gemini, uh, Man. You met, Gemini t- Man. You mentioned it on a stream, I think, on Chris's Hot Panic stream. Right. Um, yeah, what a what a crap movie that was. <laughs> yeah. I'm a Will Smith fan as well. Like I think he's done some incredible movies. Um but for me it felt like uh it felt like they were trying to cash in on people's um nostalgia for the nineties. And obviously Will Smith was a massive nineties movie star of like fresh um movie star but also T V star with like Fresh Prince, Bad Boys, etc. So and I guess in some ways it feels like what's his son's name? Jaden. Jaden, yeah. It feels like J- they wanted Jaden to be Will Smith again, and he hasn't been. He's his own person, that's fine. So they were like, do you know what? Forget Jaden, forget After Earth, or whatever those terrible movies were that he was in with Will Smith. Yep. We'll cast Will Smith with young Will Smith. And what you ended up with was some horrible CGI and slightly weird story and odd plot and not a very fun film. I mean, uh, but you know, it is what it is. But I then watched um, Stuba, which is oh, the... Um, Bati- Batista uh, and K- Kumail Nanjani. Yes, um, which I actually thought was quite a, it was quite a fun film, like those two, and it's a oh. weird film, because Batista's not really an actor, right? So it was quite an odd film, but I preferred Stuba to Gemini Man. Do you know what? Which I was not expected. I was about to announce my dismay at the fact that the two movies you found time for in the past week were Gemini Man and Stuba, but then I had a weird flashback, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, to the time where you revealed that you were one of the people that watched all those Adam Sandler movies that came to Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. And some of them weren't bad. Some of them were actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Adam Sandler's made some decent films. Is it Not like many a, of the Netflix Is it ones, like but... a thing with uh, you and the missus where, like, you just, you want to put on stuff that's easy rather than, like, challenging, and that often leads you down the path of these sometimes 
unforgivably bad movies. 100%. Yeah. So uh, one of the reasons we do that is specifically is because we can watch half of them. Oh, so yeah, yeah. We'll watch half of Gemini Man, uh, like literally get the kids to bed, do whatever, watch half of Gemini Man, she'll go to bed, I'll start streaming, which has kind of been this week. Um, and then the next day we can finish it. Stuba, I think we did the same thing with. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's broken. It's not like you're watching a really engaging, totally. sort of thoughtful movie. Um, we did start watching The Mandalorian. Uh, okay. Which, um, so I actually, I signed up for Disney Plus. There you go. So, boy. And there's there's a lot of good good shit on there, Matt. There's a lot of, like, well, they, I forgot how much good content Disney have made. That's the thing. Like, I'm sure they're going to be all in on their originals, and there's going to be a lot of stuff like The Mandalorian that continues to come to that platform. But the other thing about Disney is, fuck, if anyone's got a back catalogue, they do, right? So... You look yeah, at the stuff, yeah. and you always forget how wide their reach is and how many things are technically Disney that you didn't consider Disney. It's For sure. kind of alarming, but there we go. Well, that's, think, that's another conversation. Well, yeah, because they have... So, so they obviously have their animated Disney stuff. Then they have, like, Pixar, which falls under their umbrella. They've then got, like, National Geographic. They have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is literally a category on Disney+. Plus. Mm. Um, you've then got all the TV stuff. You've then got the live-action stuff, and it is... I mean, there's so much of it, and when you've got kids, I mean, it's like a no-brainer. I think yeah. five, five ninety-nine a month. I was like, let's let's check it out for a couple of months. See how it goes. Yeah, I remember when I was trying to explain it to my dad. My dad is kind of down with a lot of this stuff, and he's uh, signed up for Netflix as an example. But on some of the stuff, he's also a little bit like haphazard. Like, oh, I don't get it. I don't. What's it all about? And I remember right. trying to explain like. No, you don't have to buy any of this shit ever again. You don't have to keep buying DVDs of The Lion King and all that sh- shit. It's, it's not Stadia, Dad. It's um, yeah. it's something very different. The, this is you're going to pay one monthly subscription, and your kids will probably forget Netflix is even a thing. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I'll be honest, Jonesy, because my most of my week was spent playing The Last of Us Two and finishing The Last of Us Two. I don't really have much to add to um, this catch up session. So how about we dive straight into the news? Let's do it. Okay, and uh, first up, we've got to um, not really address something. I'm not going to pretend it's that grand, but um, as has been happening... Sorry, go for it, Josie. I was going to say, it's a bit heavy. It's a bit heavy, and I was going to say, it's that's something that's been happening a little bit recently, where there have been things that have cropped up kind of around the world and have, in a lot of cases, had some kind of an intersection with video games, which has meant we've kind of had to bring it up under the context of news and share our thoughts in the process. And this is kind of another one of those situations where I'm sure most of you who spend almost any amount of time on social media, especially Twitter, in the past week or so, have seen that there's been something of a, would you say, like a re-emergence, Jonesy, of something akin to the Me Too movement from from a few yeah, years for ago? Sure. Yeah, it feels. I suppose that's kind of had a number of resurgences anyway, and this feels like the latest one. And um, it's, it's weird that it seems to almost go industry by industry in a lot yeah. of respects. It seems to go like movies and then I think like YouTube and then, you know, uh, sports stars or whatever. And now um, it's gone big in the world of gaming. Um, yes. And, and and sort of in some cases, the far reaches of gaming. We were talking before we started recording that there are some people on the more developmental and writing side that are being affected all the way down to content creators and streamers. Obviously, we're not going to go into to, to too much detail on like everyone that's been called out and what they've been called out for. But. We will mention, I guess, some big names, just as as we said, as they relate to gaming. Um, Josie, you picked some of these out, but one of the main ones that we've been talking about is Chris Avalone, who, as far as people who just write video games go, is probably one of the more famous video game writers of all time. Recent work has included Dying Light 2, which he was still up to very recently attached to, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, Fallout New Vegas, a lot of classic uh, RPGs from back in the day. Um, 
yeah, his, I mean, his yeah. back catalogue is exhaustive. It's so it's, I, I've literally picked out three sort of like ones that jumped out at me. But yeah, yeah I mean, he's he's been attached to so many things over the he, past. For, for a while, he just felt like the guy you got if you wanted to do a branching story RPG game. Um, yeah. And that may not be the case anymore. He's uh, faced a number of allegations, some of which have been reported on by Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. Um, we To throw out some other ones on the more content creator streamer side of things, Pro Syndicate, who I, I believe his name is Tom, I'm not sure his surname, a uh, very big content creator, very big YouTuber, also on Twitch, has been accused of sexual assault by Zombie Unicorn, um, another famous, uh, again, uh, sort of uh, content creator, streamer, online presence. <laughs> And well, I think woman. it was we, we saw yeah when I flagged as um, before because one of the things that um, um, I sort of realised when when that came out from her was that she is uh, she was sort of attached to some of the cyberbullying campaigns and things from a few years ago. Yeah. So she's been no, um, it's not like she's suddenly like a, a non unknown person. Like she's she's been involved with this as well, which kind of in, doesn't make it worse, but in some way makes it kind of you'd think people that have been tied to online abuse, gaming, blah blah, blah would kind of feel more empowered i suppose is the word to come out and talk about stuff yeah but i think i want to say that the only reason she came out was because someone else did or maybe that was vice versa like she came out and said some I mean, stuff had happened that, that's the sort of the trajectory of this stuff right hence why it's called me too that's it's it's all about in theory it's about like trying to support the people around you and the people who are sharing their stories by making it clear that you've experienced either the exact same thing or similar things and not to normalize them but to you try and empower people to come forward and and talk about their stories. Yeah, it's a difficult one as well because I think we were talking about it on the Discord briefly, and and my take on these sorts of stories when it comes because we're sort of saying some of these people are facing allegations and some of these people have uh, accused others others in the gaming industry, but you do get a weird cis situation where you have to at one point support like the victims who come out and say X, Y, and Z happened to me, um, whilst. Uh, and whilst treating it seriously that people have been um, accused, but at the same time, until there is, you know, investigation, until there have been um, people have actually looked into it, you can't just throw people under the bus. I mean, we had a situation in the UK, I think, I don't know if people remember, not tied to gaming, but where a guy, um, and this is, a, this is a huge minority of cases, like this was, a, this in this UK, it was sort of a one-off, where a guy who obviously had, was not that, right in some respect accuse a whole load of celebrities of doing stuff that never happened and it was proved that it was all made up and this guy now is in jail for like 10 years or something but um i think you have it's a weird one because you have to say hey look we'll support the victims massively and let them you know work through that but at the same time you kind of have to be careful with what you do with the accused until they are proven or it's taken further like you don't want to go too far down the route of um, burn everything they've ever done. One of the ones I wanted to touch on, for example, was like, I don't, I don't really know about the Chris Avalone specifics about what people have accused him of, but um, somebody actually said, or one of the companies he's worked with recently has said that a section of the game that he was linked to, um, apologies, I can't remember the source, so it's which game it was. But I th- they're oh, gonna, I like, think remove- I know. I, th- I think it's Vampire the Masquerade 2 Bloodlines. Oh, okay. So they're going to remove the section that he is attached to with mm. that. Which to me is, it, when you get to the point of effectively erasing anything they've done um, at this stage, like maybe I'm wrong and maybe Chris Avalone's stuff's all been proven and he's admitted it, but it seems like that is a that is quite a drastic step to take if it really is only a few days since the accusations have come out. Yeah. Because for, let's, let's not, you know, it has been known in the past that whilst the victims were absolutely right that stuff had happened, but they were mistaken about who it was, hap- who it was. Yeah. 
I think that's happened before as well. So yeah, I think that Justin Bieber was had a few in the last few days, which people came out and said, and he's proven that he wasn't involved. It could have been yeah. that those women were it was, mistaken. Or it something. was very strange. That wasn't exactly one where he was accused of something and he went on Twitter and made a huge long Twitter thread, essentially proving that he wasn't even in the place that he was accused of being at the time he was being accused of giving there. And he was forwarding like emails of reservations that he'd made at hotels and showing receipts for things yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, he's really wants people to know that he, this was nothing to do with him. And I was reading the replies to that thread of tweets, and it was all like, you're a piece of shit, you're a rapist, blah, 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 blah. And that's where, like... Again, you have to be delicate with these kind of subject matters, but that you, I think you hit the nail on the head of where this gets testy, is that the, 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 with the people that I follow and the, the circles that I have inevitably become a part of because of the video game people I've met and just the nature of the people I'm around and, and you know, you end up in these kind of these, these chambers, the, these echo chambers where you're hearing a lot of the same voices and you're fed a lot of the same opinions and... The thing that I keep hearing over and over again is you've got to side with and believe the victims. That when someone comes forward and tells their story and says, I was a victim of X, Y, and Z, that you believe them. Um, and obviously that suggests that when the accused comes forward and says, here's why I, didn't, here's, I did not do what I'm accused of, you kind of have to not believe them. Because it, it, it feels kind of like binary. You can't believe the victim and believe the accused. You have to believe one or the other, unless you take the stance that I think you and me both take, Jonesy, which is that, well, what if neither of them are right until we know more and there's more evidence? But it feels sometimes, again, I'm not trying to sound like I'm being, making myself a victim somehow, but it feels sometimes like you're almost, you could be persecuted for not wanting to jump on someone who's been accused of something. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think it does. I think you're right. Like you could, and P, like you, exactly like you said, there's a people draw this binary where they say either you believe one or you believe the other. Whereas I, I in my estimations, like so, so let's touch on, for example, uh, Twitch, right? So the um, uh, you've got a number of Twitch streamers that I think, or at least pro syndicate, like you said, was involved. Zombie Unicorn as the accuser was involved. You, I think, for me, Twitch could have very easily said, "Hey, look, pro syndicate, these are really serious accusations." Um, we're going to take you off of our platform yep. for uh, a period of time, and we're going to we're going to look into this so we can. But at the moment, it's not like we're banning you forever and we're just throwing you under the bus. But I'm sure you can appreciate that this is very serious. Like we've worked, we worked together, like in an office building for you know for years. If someone had come to one of us and said, "Hey, this has happened to me," and we'd have said, "We we would have said, okay, that's incredibly serious." We'll, deal, we'll need to deal with this. We need to investigate. And um, you put into place ways of making sure um, that person feels protected. But at the same time, you don't then just take the person that they've said has done something and chuck them out of a window. You have mm -hmm. to do an appropriate kind of investigation response, etc. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like those two things are mutually exclusive. I don't feel no. like you can do one or the other. I think it often gets cast that way. And then it's interesting, like you said, with um, Justin Bieber, who was accused online. His mm -hmm. his response was online and was like, "Hey, I've got the receipts." And then a lot of people kind of don't care and they just want to throw yeah. him under the bus anyway. So is the, the I can tell you now, like we mentioned, uh, Pro Syndicate, who was accused by uh, a couple of different people of some uh, some disgusting acts. Let's be honest, some like the things yeah. that that are extremely wrong. And if that's true, then you know he's going to get what's coming to him, hopefully. But the I can tell you that I today at the time of recording, he put out. A statement for the first time since the accusations came forward basically saying none of this is true none of this happened 
He outlined the nature of his relationships with both the women that accused him of acts and gave his version of the events. I found out that he had put out that statement because someone quoted that tweet and just wrote a tweet saying, fuck pro syndicate. That's how I found oh, out right. about his apology, well, not even his apology, his defense was because of the second he posted it, someone said, fuck this guy. And that's where my head just kind of goes like, hang on a second. Without trying to sound reductive or harsh, it is the, the literal definition of a he said, she said. Like, I... I yeah. Well, is, I, yeah, I, no, I don't know. Absolutely. It's so difficult because... Like, I don't know. I don't know. Because everywhere, everywhere you go online, you're told that it's not about due process and it's not about evidence. It's about believing the victim because people don't lie. But... It's so it's a, such such a difficult one. You then it then gets really tricky because of course uh, the other side of what a lot of people say, which is which is and unfortunately is complete is not true, is a lot of people say if so and so has done X Y and Z, then you should just go to the police because then uh, to the victim, sorry, like you shouldn't put it on Twitter, go to the police because it's criminal. Um, the police will investigate. But what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of the things that happen aren't criminal. Like yeah. on they're not illegal. They're complete. They're like proper scumbag moves yeah um that but the but the police would have no way of prosecuting right so some of the some of the women who've come forward in these instances and said this has happened to me this has happened to me they're things that i think um if you if we just take said every single one of them is true we wouldn't like nobody would want to support them nobody would want to be on their you know on their twitch whatever but there's no way the police would ever come and prosecute them for it because technically speaking they haven't done anything illegal yeah. or even if they had it would almost be impossible for the for it to be proved one way or the other, and of course the onus is to um, uh, is innocent until proven guilty, which is the way it should be. Mm -hmm. But it gets it gets incredibly difficult. So a lot of I think a lot of the the people that get victimised or the victims and stuff, the only outlet they have in some instances is to say, "Hey, look, this is what go online and say, look, this is what happened to me. It was messed up." I can't pursue any sort of criminal or whatever. I think America's a bit... I don't know if it's different to the UK and it seems like they're more litigious, like they can sue in a civil... Like, civil proceedings. They can... Um, uh, and I think the metric for sort of proving whether or not somebody's guilty is different. So you don't have to prove they did it. You just have to prove they probably did, if mm -hmm. I'm right. I'm uh, I'm not a yeah. lawyer, obviously. But in some of these instances, like the only way uh, the, the victims can go about it is to go online right? Um, and to, and to we, sort of call them out. Because I think we've seen an increase, especially in, the, like, in this situation that's developed over the last week or so, we've seen an increase of people coming forward and really what they're airing, what they're me-tooing about is what uh, they have often coined as emotional abuse. And I right. think I've read a lot of, I won't name names because I don't think it's fair, but I've read a lot of reports of people who have come forward and said, this is my story of emotional abuse. And you can call me whatever you want. And maybe this is me being cruel. Maybe this is me being, you know, old fashioned. I, I don't know what term you want to use. There are probably worse ones than that. But I read those firsthand reports and said, that's not emotional abuse. That's a bad relationship. And we've all fucking had them. Like that's, there's one person who the there's one, one person who basically they were in a long distance relationship and every time the per they had an argument the male in the uh, in the relationship would stop replying to texts and phone calls which obviously because it was long distance left the woman in the relationship uh, you know on her own and struggling for answers and uncertain where where they stood and that to her was uh, a form of emotional abuse. And she, you know, she me too. She she shared her story, named the person, 
and I was looking at the replies, and it was like, this person might never work again in this industry. Right. And I was like, I don't know, like, where, where, where is the line between a bad relationship and someone being emotionally abusive to the degree that cancel culture needs to get enforced and they should be threatened with the loss of their job, their future in the industry they work in, and so on and so forth. Like, where, where is that line? It's very difficult. Yeah, there, there's a... I don't... I, I, maybe I shouldn't even say it. But um, I, I, don't, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. Like, people, please, people in the comments, and if anyone's listened to this, I'm not extrapolating anything, but one thing I did mention to Jamie before this podcast was... If if you go like if when we go down a certain route, because I think one of the one a couple of accusations from people have effectively been that their partner cheated on. Yeah, so the, um, the main one, if I can just interject, is uh, Ashraf Ismail, who is a game director at Ubisoft. He directed Assassin's Creed, Black Flag, and Origins, and the upcoming Valhalla. He has now stepped down as director of Assassin's Creed Valhalla as a result of accusations of infidelity. So, so this, this for me is where I, when you told me about this, I was a little bit like, this is kind of odd because, so he's, he's stepped down, right? So he's been accused of infidelity. He hasn't at this point in time anyway, might well change. He hasn't been accused, it seems of anything, of anything else. Now, if we go back a number of years, cause I, and I followed this very closely, um, but <laughs> before it was even called Gamergate, the entire thing started when, um, uh, Zoe Quinn's boyfriend at the time, um, basically did a me too and said she cheated on me a number of times with people within the games industry um obviously that everything that followed after and all the abuse she got and all like the the death threats and everything was horrendous but if like let's go back to the very beginning he said that he said oh she cheated on me loads of times so effectively he said that she, that she did what um similar situation to ashraf ishmael is that infidelity they were together for a while and there was a number of cases of infidelity it's weird that this has now flipped and that if maybe he'd have come out now and they were still together and no one had ever heard of Zoe Quinn, maybe she would have been on the other side of it in that sense. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, I'd, I'd, please, in the comments, don't go yeah. mental about and, game, uh, game of game. And obviously, not rehash that. Oh, yeah, no, actually, you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> and also the, the thing with Ashraf is that it's a difficult one where that's not an example of like the mob being set on the guy and him having to, you know, cower away. This was a situation where the infidelity and the cheating came to light. Uh, his family and his wife probably became aware of it for the first time, and it sounded like he essentially had to quit his job because his fucking life was on fire. And you right. can make the argument that if a dude is married with kids and was cheating the way that these women are describing he was cheating, maybe your life deserves to be set on fire because you fucked up pretty badly and right. you fucked over a lot of people. Um, so that, But despite that, I think if one of the things clear through all of this discussion is that this is... A situation that for as much as we all feel a great degree of sympathy and empathy for everyone who's been a victim of anything and we're always we we can and will continue to take victims and the 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 reports or accusations that they make at, at face value it, there's still a lot of gray area in all these discussions and a few very fine lines and i guess much like with black lives matter a few weeks ago jonesy i'll speak for myself i won't speak for you but still learning still reading shit all the time, still trying to, you know, improve and be more in line with where we're all meant to be circa 2020. It's just difficult sometimes. It is. No, I, I completely agree with you. Like, and, and 
it's, it's interesting because like you said as as i i think i said again in the, the same in the discord again was that as i as i get older and learn more stuff my opinion everything becomes more nuanced because yeah. maybe as a when i was like a 19 year old guy things seem a lot more simple and you know and then spend the next sort of like 15 years um living your life talking to like female friends in all different professions and stuff and you start to find out some really messed up stuff that you're like oh okay maybe i have to change my opinion and my outlook but then similarly from the other perspective um you can spend a while and then like you said you everyone at some point has had like a a bad relationship and where do you where do you draw the line between one and the other i mean don't get me wrong the vast majority of these don't seem to be bad relationship but there have been obviously a couple that sort of seem to fall into that bracket it gets it gets gets so goddamn complicated man the gray area grows it does and at some point, like maybe the our, our two voices aren't the ones that this conversation needs, but I feel like when you've got something like this rumbling in the background for as long as we have had it rumbling in the background and coming to prominence as much as it has in the last week, we couldn't not discuss it right today. Like it had no, to be exactly. something that came up. Not least of the all, one other. Yeah. I will say one other one other small point is that I did see quite a few um, people commenting about. Um, uh, I can't even remember which one of the which one of the cases it was. Effectively saying that oh these were from ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, so they're not even relevant now. Hmm. And then you and one of the things that struck me about that is, but yeah, ten, sort of fifteen, twenty years ago, you probably find that people would have thought the behaviour was okay. And nowadays you're like, well, yeah. that's obviously not okay. But it's taken this long for the for society to say no one should have to part with that. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have to like. Especially, like, you look at the games industry. We weren't in the games industry 10 to 15 years ago. But a fascinating listen for anyone who wants some insight from people who have been floating around it for, at this stage, close to 30 years. At the very start of the most recent episode, at least at the time recording, of the giant bombcast, they they being predominantly uh, Brad Shoemaker and Jeff Gerstmann, who have both been games journalists since the mid mid to late 90s, uh, talk about everything we've been talking about, but also within the context of the games industry and what it used to be like and how they both admitted that there were like elements of the way they used to work and the industry they used to be a part of that they were not proud of. Right. And that there have been things that have, they've become more independent um, over the years that they've tried to distance themselves from. One of the comments that they made that actually stood out to me in a weird way is that they joked that to be a part of the games industry nowadays and to you know, be on good terms with all these people and to run in these circles, you almost need to be a functioning alcoholic because (laughs) apparently the way that these people meet up, the way that they keep in touch, the way that they socialize when they're together, the things they organize, it all seems to revolve around drinking. And that can sometimes create an environment that, you know, it's never an excuse for any of the things that happen, but it can certainly create the environment that it spawns from. And I remember listening to that and thinking, God, you're right, like... There have been a lot of times where I've been places and I've been in I've been at E3, for example, and it's like every single day the people I'm surrounded by, like every single thing is about what's the next party, where are you going tonight? And, yeah, and sure. you can argue it's young people doing young people things, but it does also feel like if you don't like drinking and don't like bars and nightclubs and stuff like that, you know, the gaming gaming circles can be a lot more sociable than than the memes about people living in their basement and not seeing the light of day will have you believe. And it's just strange. It's a weird old place, and uh, hopefully it's changing slightly more and more with each passing year. Who knows? 
I had uh, not games industry, but yeah, I had the I had sort of a similar thing when um, I started working in television um, sort of fifteen years ago, and a lot. And to be fair, it wasn't really the case of the younger people, but the older people um, that maybe you know bot the bosses a few higher levels up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd have a drink like with them or something, but then what often got talked about there was like the drug taking. Yeah. Um, and that what I found as a little like country bumpkin getting into TV in London for the first time, I was genuinely surprised like the open discussions about like often it was said is in, in the past, like uh, back when stuff was a lot more crazy, but the level of like drug taking and thinking like, I'm not in like, I'm not into that. Like I'm not a drug dude. So what am I going to do when you guys go and do some acid? Like, am I going to, I just have to go home. And then if they decide who the next person to get promoted in that. Yeah. Uh, thing is, is always the guy is never going to be the person who's not with you. I think is kind of the same thing, right? Is um yeah, but weird. And but, it, yeah, and of course that strange. was all happening in a pre Me Too era, right? Where if something had happened yeah. to you 15 years ago, which at the point at this point in time it means 2005. I think I'm right in saying that was even pre Facebook. Must have been. Um, uh, was it 2008? I think it was Facebook. Yeah. yeah so it would have so been like. That, yeah. Like what? Like you're if you're in a situation, you were the victim of something, and you're looking around, not sure, being not sure who to talk to, or where you can go, or who to trust, or how to open up. What you're gonna fucking put it on your MySpace page? Like, of course you're not uh, fucking yeah. going to. And like, email, you send an email. Like, yeah. what you're gonna do? Group email to all of your right, own. exactly. Nah, and that's and that's why the movement in general is important. And of course, for as much as we're trying to talk through and around the nuances and the discussions there are to be had, obviously with like as we said, supportive of the movement and um, and everyone that's come forward, um, as sad as many of those stories are, with um, experiences they've had. Anyway, Jen, unless you've got anything else you'd like to to add no, to no, the no, no, on no, that discussion, we're, we're going to have to move on to unfortunately more bad news. Although uh, this, well, this story with well uh, more bad news, I don't well, know. We'll take it as you will. I th- well, I've got an angle on it that I think is a bit depressing. I, we, but um, we'll <laughs> okay. see. We're, of course, talking about Mixer being shut down. For anyone that didn't know, Mixer was the streaming platform prominently used, in fact, almost exclusively used for gaming, almost as a rival to Twitch. It was owned by Microsoft, had integration into Xbox, all those kinds of things that you would expect. Um, Mixer is basically closing down, and from July 23rd, visitors who try to go to Mixer streams will be redirected to, of all places, Facebook Gaming. Now, this has obviously become a big story because Mixer was one of the key rivals, you would say, to Twitch. Microsoft were putting a lot of money into the platform uh, to try and increase their profile and the number of people coming to the site, the amount of traffic. One of the main ways they tried to do that was through the signing of a lot of key talent. The two biggest names by far are Ninja and Shroud, who were both huge on Twitch and signed exclusivity contracts with Mixer. Um, And the other part about this story is that it was very sudden. Um, no one expected Mixer to go away quite like this. Certainly no one expected the whole Facebook angle. Uh, there were lots of reports at the time that people who worked for Mixer were finding out that their jobs were either going or dramatically changing through the same tweet that a lot of us found out about everything else. So perhaps also not a particularly well-handled situation. But either way, Jonesy, um, a kind of big and somewhat shocking revelation in what seemed like was going to be the war of the streaming platforms that now might not be a war at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, uh, I, I suppose maybe some people saw it coming. I mean, we joked about it at the time, I think, when we talked about Ninja and Shroud getting exclusive contracts and moving over to Mixer in the, from the YouTube side, less from the gaming side, we've seen other platforms 
move into the market, uh, talking YouTube and video streaming, yeah. and attempt to almost buy views by getting exclusivity with people that are big on things like YouTube. And this did kind of feel reminiscent of that for us. I think that's why we we felt like it was an interesting um, uh, parallel to some of the things we saw, sort of try and, try and take some of YouTube's um, traffic for the video side. And I think, I'm, I want to say we even joked at the time and said that, it was probably going to last for a, like a year or something yeah. and then was going to disappear. Um, so not, not that surprised. I mean, there was a statement from Phil Spencer. So if just one line from him that was reported in The Verge was um, that, that he said, we started pretty far behind. And in terms of where Mixer's monthly active viewers were compared to some of the big players out there, um, I mean, you know, it was always going to be a massive uphill battle for them. And even yeah. by pulling in, like you said, big streamers getting exclusivity contracts, I feel like moving people from one platform to another, even if their favorite streamer goes, they never get, they don't just have one favorite streamer anyway. So unless you can move people wholesale, like it was always going to be yeah. a hell of a thing to try and make it work. That's, um, that's almost what's fascinating, right? Is that that was a question we had, not just about streaming platforms, but about, about platforms at large, which was do people align themselves with and commit to the individuals and the content creators or the platform and the ecosystem. And now, unfortunately, with its death, Mixer has answered that question directly, which is that if you take the single biggest creator off of that platform, which Mixer did in uh, acquiring exclusivity rights with Ninja, people just find another Ninja. They, <laughs> yeah, they, exactly, it's yeah. much easier for them to adapt to another person, another personality, than it is to adapt to another platform. And now we know that will probably apply to almost anything else going forward too. It's interesting because it's weird because if you kind of said to yourself, oh, if you took PewDiePie and put him onto Daily Motion, would you move across uh, like 10 million or 50 million or whatever it is people from YouTube to like Daily Motion? Like, no, no of course you yeah. wouldn't. They're, they're just going to watch other content. Similar, similar sort of thing when they moved. Um, uh, obviously, for slightly different reasons, they moved Top Gear onto Amazon Prime. Yeah. And the idea being that, well, all these people are going to buy Amazon Prime. It's, I mean, yeah, sure, some people that love Top Gear did, but not that many. What, what did they call it? The World Tour or yeah. Grand World Tour? Or something? Grand, yeah, something um, like that. You can take these these monoliths that exist on these platforms and you can try and you can try and displace them, but it's too easy for those people, like you said, to just find something else on that platform to replace it, to fill that hole. Yeah. Um, and I think most people don't get, aren't, they're not wedded so strongly to the one person anyway. They probably watch a number of different streamers. So now are they really going to have Mixer and Twitch on the go at the same time yeah. so they can see which streamers coming onto which platform? Like, Exactly. It's bizarre. The only, the only part of me surprised about this was that Microsoft obviously have the money to throw their weight around in this world. And I really thought when they put as much money as they did put into the deals with Ninja and Shroud that it would be longer before they gave up. I want to say that the time between them signing the deal with Ninja and this happening was less than a year. And don't get me wrong, a year is more than enough time to look at the numbers and say, hey, we made the biggest power play we could possibly make and it didn't work. But part of me just thought that they would just keep it going that little bit longer. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, what do you think about the idea that maybe they just did it at the wrong time? Like the time to do it and to try and take some of Twitch's market was probably not, they, they tried to do it when Twitch was smashing it. They maybe yeah, should have tried to did. wait until it fell off. Like if there if there'd been like a um, 
Oh, of course, the irony being that maybe, I mean, it won't do, but what uh, when you had, what, what did we call it? The Adpocalypse on YouTube, right? That would have been the time maybe to create a new video platform because people are already trying to move away from YouTube. Yeah. Wait until something goes horribly wrong on Twitch and then build it. Whereas it did seem like Microsoft just thought, hey, we've got fuck you money. Yeah. We can... Um, we can build one of our but, own, but also, and then it'll work. As as YouTube have shown many, many times over the years, and as Twitch will now probably demonstrate from and so on, there's like no matter how big the fire gets, it's never enough. YouTube has been on right. fire in a number of different ways and has had horrible relationships with significant figures within the, those communities and different content creators that should theoretically mean a lot to those platforms, and it's never enough. Like people are constantly complaining about Twitch and their terms of service and their, you know, how some people get bans for this and other people don't, and they're playing favourites and all kinds of weird shit. I feel like there's drama coming out of Twitch every week, but it's never enough to make someone say, that's why I'm going to Facebook gaming. Never enough. No, the no. The only thing that does that no. is money, and now we know that that money was not money well spent, which, I guess, to touch on the other part of this story that's uh, making headlines, obviously Twitch and Ninja signed exclusivity contracts with Mixer, that had uh, plenty more time to run, from all we know, and now Mixer ceases to exist, which meant that the Microsoft uh, and Mixer had to look at the contracts they had with Ninja and Shroud. Um, from what I understand, they were offered big, big money, double what their contracts were currently worth, to simply transfer that contract over to Facebook Gaming and continue, but both Ninja and Shroud, again, I don't think it's been confirmed, but from what I understand, they both declined to move to Facebook gaming and ask to be negotiated out of their contracts. And the figures I've heard, I'm not sure if this is just the buyout or if this is all the money they made in the process, but the figures I've heard for Ninja were $30 million and for Shroud were $10 million, which as a less than one year holiday on another platform, <laughs> and they're now completely free agents to go wherever they want. Not a bad little payday for a couple of dudes in their 20s who play video games. Why would you? Why would you not go back to Twitch if you could walk away with thirty million, ten million, and just go back to Twitch? You are laughing your head off. Like, why would yeah. you sign the exclusivity with Facebook Gaming? Um, I think there are people who are kicking themselves that they didn't go to Mixer. There's already a clip of a, a very popular streamer called Tim the Tapman, who someone in his chat asks him, like, "Do you regret not going to Mixer now that you know how it would have worked out?" And he just kind of looks into the camera ominously <laughs> for a bit because he knows, like. He wasn't. He's not Ninja or Shroud numbers, but like that's a dude who could have made a couple of million dollars for six months of his life on a on a different platform. But then, like that's that to me though is that you might as well have said to somebody like, "Oh, don't you wish you'd have bought Apple stock in the eighties? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, like come on. If uh, but then also, would you, don't you wish you'd have bought DeLorean stock in the eighties? No, like I would have lost all my money. Um, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think they those guys are doing fine. Like I don't, you know, yeah. at the time they probably they felt like they were making the right decision. And hey, Mixer could have worked better. Like maybe could've, something could have worked better. But I I'm, I do find the Facebook gaming angle interesting because um, the difference between Facebook and Mixer, for example, is Facebook already have a captive audience. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, if they went the opposite route, right? Um, and we've we've talked about YouTube actually as well, and the way that they they do monetization and things. Um. And it's something that is, which is um, interesting to me at the moment, I don't know, like Chris and probably you in the future, Jamie, is that the way that Twitch operate their uh, partnership service is you have to meet a number of milestones. Twitches, I would say, are a lot more friendly than YouTube's. Right, um, yeah. YouTube have a very high bar for monetization, uh, probably because, well, they've been around a lot longer and 
like I went through a situation with one of my channels where it was monetized. It then they changed their rules. I was then not monetized. It blew up in a very small way. It blew up, and I then was able to re-monetize. But I felt a little bit salty about the fact that I lost out on. I, to be fair, it's probably only about like two thousand quid or something. It wasn't like much over the course right. of a year as well. It's, it's not nothing. Like two, two, two grand is. It's not nothing. But you, now, if you said to me, so now I'm actively pursuing like Twitch partnership, which is why I've done a number of streams like Last of Us this week. Uh, sorry, Last of Us Two. I've done a number of streams this week, and I'm I'm building my way to sort of doing more streaming. If you now turned around to me and you said, "Well, Facebook Gaming is going to pop off. They've just got my, they, you know, they've done a deal with Microsoft, um, but their entrance for sort of partnership yeah. is a lot more reasonable, and you don't have to hit. I want to say it's like fifty. Miss nothing on. I miss Twitch is still low, like fifty subscribers or fifty followers uh, before you become partnership. Like that's yeah. quite low. But if they said you only need ten. Uh, and you only need to have, yeah. Um, you only need to stream for three days and not five. Like Twitch is not a high bar at all. But no, but then that's maybe kind that's of like, the way to do it. Maybe that's kind of like the part of the fear for me around that stuff is that we know people. Uh, I hope you won't mind me bringing it up, but Steph was someone who briefly flirted with moving over to Mixer, and unfortunately, before this all went tits up, he actually came back to Twitch and has been streaming through TechnoOver on Twitch for the last couple of months, I think. But I remember when he went to Mixer, it was in good faith, and it was kind of like this is a new platform, like you said, with fewer comp- fewer people, less competition, and lower lower barriers to entry. But the thing that worries me about this whole thing, and this is why I kind of introduced it as potentially bad news, um, is that for as much as we can talk about the Ninja Shroud stuff and people making millions of dollars, the idea that the rug can be pulled from out of your feet when you're building a community on something is still incredibly scary. And yeah, don't get me yeah. wrong, we are building a community ourselves on what has to be the most secure, one of the most secure video platforms of all time, in that there's no one that even comes close to YouTube in terms of video outside the worlds of movie, TV, and, and porn, basically. Everything else is YouTube. <laughs> um, but Pornhub is probably the only like ever <laughs> slight yeah, contender exactly. to YouTube, YouTube's but, crown. But the idea that... like. Audiences can be difficult to transfer, right? We had 400,000 subscribers on YouTube at a time where we probably had 600 followers on Twitter between all three of us. If we had lost that channel overnight, if we had lost that platform overnight, we would have had to start from scratch. And so there is a part of me that feels sorry for people, maybe up-and-coming streamers, maybe even established streamers on a platform like Mixer, which inherently the numbers are slightly deflated compared to something like Twitch, who have lost everything lost everything yeah. they worked towards and have to start again and hope people proactively come to find them because it can be very difficult to transfer those audiences. And that's that's where it sucks, and that's where it's scary yeah. because these platforms you, are hard enough to work with as it is, you know? I mean, we've we've literally been in this situation. You can, you can almost take for granted. So, like, your first 10,000 subscribers is hard fought for, is incredible, and feels amazing. Like, we've been through that with ATG. And and that ten thousand was incredible. A hundred thousand was insane, and was like, holy shit! Yeah. We've got like this doesn't even though like you know you talk about how many are engaged and how many actually actively watch the content. Then you talk about like getting millions of views on one video. You get to a point. Maybe this this might be weird for people, but we we were sort of in the um the area where we maybe we took it for granted a little bit. Um, you then hit two three hundred thousand. You start to get you know another million, another million views, and you take it for granted. It's very easy to forget about the people that have 1,000 subscribers who stream, when talking about streaming again, stream every day, 
work really hard and are doing an incredible job. And like you said, all of those people on Mixer have been forgotten overnight. Yeah. Which is which is horrible. Like um like I know that I know now and us trying to build a community for um Super Show uh is that those sort of five thousand subscribers we hit on that was incredible. It was fantastic. Um and if like you said, we've been ten times the size of this but if you now said to me, if you took away this overnight, I would feel so much worse than had it than when you know we stopped doing stuff for all time gaming because this feels much more like, you know, real and hard fought for. So yeah. I don't know. I hope those. I hope the small people um, who were barely making anything, who were trying to make something, I hope they migrate to. Fa- I hope they make it as easy as possible for those guys to migrate to Facebook gaming if that's what's going to happen. For take to try and take those communities with them, um, especially especially though. Yeah, I mean those guys are the ones who've. Uh, they probably put all into it, and now they're feeling like <laughs> what was it? it was completely not worth it. Yeah, um, basically, and it probably leaves them wondering about the future on any other platform. Like the Facebook, I think Facebook Gaming have come out and said, "Hey, if you used to stream on Mixer, you can come to us and be a I forget what the words are now, but you can." It sounds like you'll have like some kind of privilege immediately, or be able to monetize immediately. Um, so that uh, that's good. Like I like that. I really like that. I'm glad that yeah. Facebook is saying. That. But like, if you if you had put money and time into and energy into Mixer and it had gone, you'd be going onto the next platform thinking, well, that could happen again any day now. Sure. The the one maybe saving grace with Facebook is, you know, that Facebook as an entity, like although people talk about Facebook sh- shrinking and oh, who goes on Facebook? It's still a massive platform. Oh, yeah. Um, the, 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 one surprising fact that I'll throw out in the middle of that is that Facebook Gaming's numbers were higher than Mixers. I'm yeah, and I'm not surprised at that at all. Like um, because Facebook, they've actually done quite a good job, and I feel this more and more uh, recently is that they're getting better and better at serving their videos and how they serve them. Um, I've watched a couple of streams on Facebook that I had no intention of watching, um, uh, Warzone streams and things where it just gets served to me as an ad in a in a news news feed, and I just start watching it, and it's like. Oh, this this stream is quite good. I've never heard of them before. And then you get engaged, and then you go, oh, 25 minutes, half an hour's gone of my time. Mm. Um, it's slightly more odd on Facebook gaming, or sort of on that side of Facebook, is because it's kind of it's too easy to just hop off or to. It's like a, it's like a bit of a strange environment. But I haven't really delved into Facebook gaming maybe as deeply as I should have. But yeah, me neither. But hey, you know, it's what it is. Yeah, uh, it is what it is. Unfortunately. Not great news, but unfortunately, yeah, another thing we kind of had to cover for the sake of getting through the news, because that is part of what this podcast is about. And speaking of news, Jonesy, there was actually a piece of news that we just missed last week. The second we ended the recording, we all got yes. our phones out, went on Twitter and saw what had happened while we were um, doing our bits and pieces. And that was that CD Projekt Red's upcoming RPG, Cyberpunk 2077, got delayed. Uh, it was due to come out in September. It's now been pushed to the 19th of November. They put out a statement alongside it. The statement was was interesting. Like It filled you with some amount of hope and kind of clarified exactly where they stand. They essentially said the game was content complete. You know, the storylines and the cutscenes and the gameplay elements are all basically there and finished, but there are a lot of bugs to fix and things to balance. And you wonder if perhaps not reading between the lines too early that the whole COVID-19 and working from home and maybe the slowdown and getting set up in that way of working, meant that they needed to buy themselves what is ultimately just another two months, which, after years of waiting, is a small price to pay, and it seems like it's very hard to imagine a scenario in which they don't stick to this release date. But, um, yeah, I, I want to get your kind of gut reaction, Jonesy, because 
it must have felt like September was going to happen and that enough was enough. And then all of a sudden we have to deal with another delay. What was your on the on the spot reaction? <laughs> you know what it was, because I think I messaged you the second I read it, which was just like, fuck. Um, and I, I literally read the one line at the top of the statement, which was, um, we're really sorry, but we've pushed it. It's going to be out in two months and two days from when it was going to be released. Mm. Um, I suppose it's because after the initial delay, it felt like it was finally here. It felt like it was close enough that it was that it was on the precipice. Yes. Um, I've pre-ordered the special edition because I, or the collector's edition, sorry, because I'm an idiot. Um, but I'm still super hyped for that. Uh, I'm also pr- hopefully gonna buy. I don't know if it'll be available from purchasing tomorrow, but um, there is a special edition Secret Labs gaming chair. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077 version which was teased a few days ago and is going to be I think I don't know if it'll be on sale tomorrow but it's going to be more information will be about tomorrow like I am fully invested into Cyberpunk 2077 I can tell so I was but you know what I read the statement and I think I spoke to a few people and yeah come down on the side of like okay the game is done um in in you know the vast majority of ways that matters from what they've said, there's a few bugs to do. I think it's also in their statement they said that the game um, was has been, has been delivered to journalists. So there's, there are people playing this game who are on an yeah. um, embargo until uh, tonight's stream is finished. So we should start to see previews of their um, reactions to the game tomorrow, or, um, or possibly even tonight, I guess. Yeah. Um, whether whether the, the embargo is linked to the time. Um, so hopefully from, let's say, tomorrow that we'll see some previews about people's, the journalists' reactions and what they think of it. But CD Projekt Red, if you if they have if their track record is anything to go by, mm-hmm. they are all about creating an awesome product and and not giving up on it until it is immense. Like sure. The Witcher Three, they kept coming back to it. It, w- it was not behind a paywall. They kept fixing it. They kept changing stuff. The UI, the menus, the gameplay, like they they were constantly working away at that game, and that was already an incredible game when it was released, and it became even more so. So, do you know what my initial reaction? throw it in the trash my reaction now is i'm glad that they're taking the time to really nail it yes um and i'm I'm just i'm psyched about november and i guess the other thing you mentioned in november is that this also puts cyberpunk 2077 in a weird position when it comes to the next generation of consoles obviously they are due out this quote-unquote holiday with many people expecting that to be probably at some point in november to the point where you'd almost say that 19th of november sounds too late for the consoles you'd expect at least one of them to have been out by then so uh perhaps with that in mind cd project red had to clarify their position on next gen and they've said that obviously the game is going to be compatible on next gen consoles you buy the game on ps4 or on xbox one it'll be compatible with the playstation 5 and the xbox series x respectively from day one so there's no issue there you can play it whatever console you have the interesting thing is they've obviously talked before for about patching the game to take advantage of the next-gen hardware and making some kind of an improved version of the game, it sounds like that will not be ready at launch. So if on, no. so on November 19th, when Cyberpunk 2077 comes out, you buy that copy on PlayStation 4, you have a choice of playing it on PS4, that's all fine, completely normal, playing it on PS5 as a backwards compatibility title, but it's basically just the PS4 version, or in theory, waiting until they do patch in PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X support to then play a patched version of it 
unless they also at some point down the line straight up make a PS5 Xbox Series X version of it, in which case you hope that that is the same as the PlayStation 4 version having been patched. I don't know. For me, this game is like the poster boy for everything strange about forwards compatibility and smart delivery and patching games to take advantage of uh, hardware. I don't know. I'd be, inter- I'd be interested to get, like, if you've decided. But I, So I know... Well, so I'm working on the basis that the PlayStation 5 is going to drop uh, like early November. I'm going to get my PlayStation 5. I'm then going to put Cyberpunk 2077 into that, and I'm going to play it. Day yeah. one, Cyberpunk comes out. I've never played that game before because it's not been out. So I'm not, exa- not going to sit down and go, oh, well, this isn't as good as X. I'm also not going to have played a year or two years worth of games that are optimized for the system mm-hmm. so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna miss features that um or, or feel that don't that i haven't played yet or that don't even exist yet so i think i'll have a fully immersive enjoyable uh full cyberpunk 2077 experience yeah. but on the playstation let me ask 5. you this what if the launch experience of cyberpunk 2077 is comparable to the launch experience of the witcher 3 in terms of bugs and performance and then you play it at launch in November because you really want to play it. And then in March, turns out, hey, the PS5 update is ready to drop. Here's a free update that you download that makes Cyberpunk 2077 run at 4K 60 frames on PlayStation 5. <laughs> um, well, okay, full disclosure, I had a game-breaking bug in The Witcher 3, which meant that I could not, um, I couldn't play any more <laughs> so of the game. you're the poster boy for this question. <laughs> so, um... Uh, yeah, I, I reached a section where Yennefer and I were supposed to get onto a boat and go to the next mission. Um, and it, it just broke. The whole game broke. Like, I couldn't do anything. You could get on the boat, but nothing happened. So I stopped playing. I, I wholeheartedly just stopped. Um, I, I even tried, like, reloading previous saves and, and working back up to point, and it didn't make any difference. It was The game was just bugged out. I don't know what was going on. They patched it. I went back, played it, and it was fine, and I could yeah. carry on. Um so, assuming the same thing happens, I guess I'll stop playing when the game breaks and then I'll come back in March. To be honest, um, there's probably going to be so many games coming out in October and November anyway. You might, it, I don't think Cyberpunk is going to get snowed under, but it certainly is a much busier time for the, the, the games industry than September looked like it would have been. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you know what I'm like as well with games. Like, There's no way that I'm finishing this inside of the first month. Like, I'm going to be playing this game Dude, for a inside while. Inside of the first year. Like, exactly. It's probably going to be longer than Death Stranding was, and that's the last time you had a game that was theoretically your game of the year that you never really had time to put, put yeah, invest into. Still haven't finished it. Yeah. Still haven't finished it. Um, but I will because it is my game of the year from last year, and it's incredible. <laughs> it's a bloody good game. Uh, yeah. No, I believe you. I believe you. Cyber with me though. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but Cyberpunk seems like a game. Uh, which is a type of game I, I absolutely love, which it doesn't matter if you never finish. It feels like a game you can just enjoy the heck out of okay. because it's like an open world. There's an environment there. There will be so many side quests. The um, the upgrade trees, like the enjoyment of the world seems to be so yeah. broad in its scope that you could play, and I've done this many times, you could play 100 hours of the game and maybe have done half the story, yeah. Um, but you're still getting everything from that game that you might want to. For me, that's um, um, Bethesda RPGs all over, like Skyrim and right. the Fallouts. Like that's exactly what they are to me. Exactly, and you, you make who cares? You don't finish the final story, like whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, obviously, that's a little bit different with certain games because 
um, they, you know, you need to finish the story or the story is the main driving thing. And I'm also terrible at finishing them. But I like dip in and dip out, um, like big world open RPG games that you can just play around in as well. Like, a, you know, I think that still sounds wicked to me. And I think that game will be exactly that. And we will find out more about what Cyberpunk will be uh, at the time of recording later on this afternoon. Um, it seems that... What was once the perfect day for us to record on Thursdays, for those of us who haven't realised, has increasingly become a strange day for us to record on, because in recent weeks, Thursday has been the day of all kinds of shit. The PlayStation reveal event, the PlayStation 5 like game reveal event was on a Thursday. EA Play last week was on a Thursday after we recorded. And once again, uh, Cyberpunk 2077's, I believe it's called the Night City Wire livestream. The first of which, I think you're right, yeah. yeah, the first of which is still going ahead tonight as planned, despite the game being delayed. Uh, so we've come up with a roundabout way of covering it because obviously at the time of recording this, we don't know what's going to be in there. And instead, what Jonesy and I are going to do after we've recorded this is we are going to start recording, do a little bit of a preamble before the stream goes live. We're then going to watch it, you know, talk over it, react to it, have a little bit of a discussion uh, afterwards and edit that, and hopefully get it out to you guys in the form of another piece of Patreon-exclusive content. So anyone curious to see how we might react to tonight's livestream and our further thoughts on Cyberpunk 2077, look out for that piece of content, as I said, going out through the Patreon. Um, And I guess, Jonesy, that kind of brings us to the last thing we've kind of noted to talk about, the one livestream that actually conveniently decided to go up the day before we record our podcast <laughs> yeah. so we could talk about it and that was the war table stream for marvel's avengers uh the upcoming game slated for september the month that now pretty much has to itself thanks to cyberpunk's delay square enix published crystal dynamics developed uh, action game with all kinds of stuff going on uh, they basically did a big stream to finally lay out how this game was structured uh how they were going to divvy up the single player and multiplayer and co-op elements um and also give us a good look at gameplay, which, Jonesy, I know you weren't able to catch the whole stream, but you were able to watch this eight-minute clip from a story mission within Marvel's Avengers where you play as Thor. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on the gameplay, basically, and what you thought about what it looked like in motion. So if I, if I um, juxtapose this gameplay that I watched yesterday to uh, the, the bridge scene that we saw um, uh, what was that? Like a year ago, eighteen months ago? Or it was, something. It was a year ago. Yeah. It was a long time. Um, this was so much better for me. That um, yeah. massively improved. It felt like you actually could get the feel of how just a story mission was going to be. It was very gamey, gamified. It was very gamified. Excuse me. Um, there were some sort of elements there that I could imagine would almost feel a little bit like um, could exist in like Marvel Spider Man or something. It wasn't. It was by no means perfect. It wasn't as slick as. Um, in some ways as what I'd hoped it might be but it definitely looks like it is in the right area and okay. this is I think I, I mentioned to someone who, who uh, asked me about it um, on the discord that for me this looks like I'm in a good place with it and if I just need to see some more gameplay and see some more about how it works sort of day to day and then I think this actually could be a pretty cool a pretty fun a fun game um, especially I, I know we sort of disagree with some of the or maybe you don't know that we disagree. Um, we disagree a little bit on how the setup for the single player versus the uh, the multiplayer um, co-op uh, sort of works. But 
this was always going to be a really tough game to do gameplay wise because flying is awful like flying in games is always terrible as far as i'm concerned i've never played a game where you fly and you're like oh yeah this feels fantastic but what i saw yesterday was like no aerial combat which i loved or very very limited it was like thor was flying from this place to this place then he was getting into a fight with his hammer and that is what i want to see flying is a traversal mechanism um even in a game like anthem the flying in that felt fine um as a flying mechanic to get from a to b um i don't want to fight people in the air i don't know if you remember the iron man game that came out on like playstation 2 Re- regrettably I, I do yeah horrible horrible game there were, the two, aerial there were two of them i think were there t- oh jesus christ there were two of them but they were terrible um but no i i'm 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 very hopeful weirdly weirdly yeah. so i'm very hopeful and the idea of the I don't know what they they called them, but the idea of the multiplayer sections where you you can have other people, uh, co-op people, fight alongside you and pick your character. Um, that sounds wicked. I love the idea that me and three mates can get on there and say, "Yeah, I'm going to be Thor. You're going to be Iron Man. You're going to be Hulk." I, like yeah. that sounds like, no, I, no. I, what no, are you thinking? I want to sure, hear like, your thoughts. For sure. Like I think you'd said that you're hopeful, and I will never say anything to try and dissuade someone from being hopeful <laughs> because fundamentally, as I've said time and time again on, again on these podcasts, we should all be hopeful. The best case scenario is that this game's fucking amazing. So wanting it to be anything yeah. else is, you know, unhelpful. Um, I just wasn't as enthused by that combat that they showed off as you were. Um, I thought that it was strange that they decided to show their first extended piece of gameplay since the bridge, and it was Thor on his own on a rooftop killing robots over and over again. And I thought well, it was it was on the um, it was on the flying Avengers craft, wasn't it? It was. Oh, on I thought the, it was on uh, a rooftop. I'm pretty sure it was um, on that because then there's a bit. I just didn't he... understand, like as far as enemies go. That like he seemed to be destroying these big robots that kind of like were planted, almost these structured robots. Right, and it's like they can't react. So you're watching what looks like a mid-budget Xbox 360 game where it's just his Thor swinging at a machine. And it's like, is that really what <laughs> right. we're doing? Like in a post-God, I mean, not everything can be God of War, but in a post-God of War world, this is what we're doing. Like, the enemies didn't look like they react properly to his hits. Thor didn't look like he reacted properly to him getting hit. Flying around the environment looked a little bit janky. I just wasn't won over by that gameplay presentation. Fair enough. Um, I I yeah. kind of took it as though the, the robots with the protective dome shields were almost like mini boss characters, and the random metal-like mobs were the ones that, you know, because they did seem yeah. to react in a reasonable but, way to getting hit. Again, like... In the, I've just finished playing The Last of Us 2, and I tune into the right. Avengers stream where they're going to showcase an excerpt from their single-player campaign. And right, I'm watching yeah, yeah. Thor, excuse me, mashing square to hit a robot <laughs> over and over again. I'm like, guys, the goalposts have moved. Right. That's, that is a fair point, actually. That is a very fair point. I suppose it's hard because if I think about Spider-Man, um, a lot of Spider-Man combat is... When you take, I mean, it's going to sound stupid. When you take out um, his web slinging and his like all his gadgets, he his combat at the end of the day is mash square. It's Arkham um, Arkham esque. It's Arkham esque, and it's jump over their heads and mash square. Then, of course, you throw all the co- the gadgets and the combat and everything into it, and it, then it becomes a full fledged, um, uh, sort of amazing comic book style game. Yeah. What I'm hoping with this is that they ha- and why I say I'm hopeful is because. It feels like this is a good starting point, and if they then go down right. a tree of saying, you can upgrade these abilities, you can this, you can use lightning and this, you can throw your hammer like this. Um, and the Thor's the one thing I find odd is Thor's going to be one of the hardest because we've seen 
almost perfect execution of a weapon that you can swing around, throw at enemies, summon back. I mean, God of War felt incredible. And they're clearly trying to harness some of that. Yeah. And if it doesn't feel as good as that, then it's like, well, hold on. You've had so long to make it feel as good as that. But but, uh, but you're right. Like Thor is just one of many characters and, you know, there's no reason to suggest that if Thor maybe doesn't sit well with me that I might enjoy playing as Black Widow or Iron Man or or anything like that. And they're going to add more characters, obviously, down the road. They're going to continue supporting this game. But I wondered if maybe we should should loop back around to what you were talking about, which is more of the structural side of things. Because for those of you who who don't know, maybe you didn't catch the stream, I haven't been tracking the game, whereas other kind of loot-based games like The Division or Destiny and things like that, operate in a game where the vast majority of the experience can be done in co-op. The Avengers splits those two things up. So they have what they're calling hero missions, where you have to play as a set superhero in a single-player story-driven mission. And they also have these Warzone missions where you and up to three friends can come together for four-player co-op, where the events of that mission will still be entwined with the story, but you can choose your hero and... I felt like they were designed to be more repeatable, akin to Destiny 2 Strikes, for example. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad way of structuring it. I just think, like, I don't know. Maybe it's actually the right way of doing it. Maybe it's just giving people the best of both worlds and not blurring the lines. But I, wa- I worry that that's going to make the campaign a tutorial and an introduction to characters that were then just meant to go on and use in other realms of this game and almost make the campaign somewhat redundant in the process. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I do. Um, I, I thought I was torn on it and now I actually think I've changed my mind and I think I agree with you. Um, the idea of having the single player campaign and you know, you play through from start to finish uh, and you, I guess it, I, it probably offers you different characters to play, which kind of goes to your point of tutorial, like now you're Black Widow and you can learn what she does. I didn't have a problem with that. But actually, if this is an Avengers game, why the hell can't you have your mate or a couple of mates play as the the other characters with a slightly different aim? Um, in that, you know, oh, you're fighting the bad well, guys. Okay, three of us can hop in and all play together as a co-op. Like, I do, really do you know one why. thing that I think people joked about before, but I think it legitimately could be a thing. How do you make a co-op mission where Iron Man and Black Widow have to? travel that traverse the same areas and make use of both of their abilities how do you create a level that is like literally a woman running around with two guns and a man in a suit that can probably fly at 200 miles an hour and shoots missiles how do you craft a mission that makes sense for both of those i think in the strikes or these warzone missions you're gonna get more of what you see in games like destiny and division waves of enemies bosses with big health bars and the idea that everyone's just kind of wailing away at faceless like groups of people makes a bit more sense whereas in a campaign where it's a bit more story driven maybe they found that harder to to tonally match up no i think that's a very good point like it, it would be more difficult to to make those to sort of make that game but I, and i think it's anyone who's watched the movies sort of has the same reaction mm. how the hell does hawkeye fit into a world of, with uh, thor when he's got a friggin' bow and arrow like yeah how if, if you watched hawkeye for half of you know, if he, if your focus was on him for the entirety of the Avengers films, you'd be like, "What is he doing? He's just standing around like he can't even he can't." But, but, and the answer run to those questions, quiet. ironically, is they sometimes just have to split them off and give them their own own scene, and maybe that's what this right. campaign is. 
Right, so I imagine, yeah, you're probably right in that that, that was why they didn't do it. I, it kind of is weird because maybe, maybe it would have been a bit too forced, but I suppose they could have said, oh, in this section, uh, let's say there's a maximum of three people or four people, they could have only picked heroes that, didn't, that, that had comparable skills. So you can all be Interesting. from this range. Or if you're in a section where you can fly, you can be Iron Man, you can be Thor, you can be, who else? I don't even know who else can fly. Falcon, he can fly. You can yeah. be these guys. I don't think he's been confirmed yet. But no, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think in some sense it's going to feel almost like a... Like in, in the way that Destiny, in some respects, felt like it was taking you through the moves in the single-player campaign mm-hmm. um, to just feel out that world, visit all the destinations, engage some of the bosses, and then the real game is everything yeah. after the fact. I think maybe you're right. Maybe it'll feel like that. Because yeah. the reason I want to play this game is because I want you to be Hulk, Chris to be Iron Man, and Same. me to be Captain America, yeah. and we run around just going, you know, uh, and, uh, I believe we will do that, and I think we will have fun doing it. I, um, I hope so. I really hope so, yeah. Cause, and the other thing, for people who maybe haven't been tracking this game as closely, the reason we keep bringing up games like Destiny the Division isn't just because they're particularly relevant in gameplay terms, it's because the other aspect of Marvel's Avengers is it is being framed as some kind of a loot-driven, continuous experience. I was thinking about it, and it's kind of like you have your destinies and divisions where they have resets every week, and you're almost you're given a reason to go back and play that game every week. And then you have the more Ubisoft approach with games like the recent Assassin's Creed's and Ghost Recon games, which is like, hey, every now and then we're going to add in new weapons or a new thing to go and do, a new thing to go and find to kind of give you a reason to come back every now and then. It seems to me like Square are trying to frame Marvel's Avengers as something in between, as in there might not be a reason to come back and play Marvel's Avengers every single week, but what if every month there was a new hero, a new location, a new set of missions, a new set of gear, and it does have those gear systems. We do have different rarities of loot denoted by colour, you will be increasing your overall power level. There are also, you know, skins and various customization options that affect your affect you cosmetically, which have been confirmed in some cases at least to be behind paywalls, which I think is something of a shame. Um, but it is that kind of game. Does that at all seem at odds with you, Jonesy, with what the gameplay is and what they're trying to make? That there will be gear and that let's say you're playing that Thor mission we were talking about, halfway through it, you might have to hit the touchpad and equip a new set of wrist guards for Thor to increase, to make Thor stronger. Does that seem weird to you, or do you like it? No, I quite like it. Um, okay. As long as... I mean, the, the loot system, like the reward system, is so ubiquitous in gaming, I think, in some respect, you can't... I mean, it's hard to make a game without it, especially if you're talking uh, co-op, online co-op. It's single player is probably easier, because you're not playing with other people. There's no compare. You're not comparing yourself to anyone else. Um... But you've got to have a reason for going back. And if you're going to do, um, especially if you're going to do the same missions a number of times, but some people will play this game so much that they will ha- they'll be replaying the same missions and things. Yep. And one of the um, only reasons they'll be replaying it is because they're going to want to get more loot. Yep. Um, how do you pull people in to do an epic raid where you need this many people to have played it over this length of time? Like You have to have a reward system. Um, you can't do that these days with pay-to-play because people are just not going to be up for it. Um, but I'm totally on board of the cosmetic side. I mean, I just bought the season four Warzone um, battle pass, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's all cosmetic. Um, I don't even have a problem with some of the 
the skins being behind paywalls. I'm a guy who paid probably total like eight quid in um, Arkham Knight for probably four or five different skins for Batman and a Batman car skin. And I've got the 1989 suit and I've got like, I think some of that stuff is just fun. Um, and if you want to pay it, you can pay it. If you don't, you don't have to. Um, I'm kind of on your level in that it depends how much is behind a paywall. Like if it's something that, if it feels like, Oh, I'm not getting enough loot. Like I hate that system whereby it feels like you can't get anything good unless you pay. Like I don't like that. Yes. Um, as long as it as long as it rewards you for playing and gives you loot like destiny was a great great example they had a really good loot and reward yeah. system i felt although they um, have they've reversed course somewhat in recent months maybe even the last year or so i wish we had matt towie on the line to tell me when it will change <laughs> but they decided at some point that they would let the cosmetic scene by be determined by microtransactions and that was an right. extremely unpopular move Oh, okay. So, well, I haven't played it for over a year, so yeah, maybe that's yeah. why. But, At launch, it was much um, more, it was much more like a level playing field in that sense. I definitely felt like I, in that game, I would get decent enough loot that I could really enjoy, and I even spent some money, some real money, in the game occasionally mm-hmm. be- for one specific thing because I, I specifically wanted that. Um, but I didn't feel like I needed to, and as long as they have that that model, I think it's okay. But what? Yeah. What do you? So are you? Are you thinking that maybe they've gone the wrong no, way? No, with no. This? I was just you know testing the waters. Obviously, like loot systems like that are controversial in that some people think they just have no place outside of the realms of certain games. I am cool with them because I know that they get their hooks in me, and I. That sounds strange, I guess, maybe that I'm acknowledging that as a good thing, but that often, you know, ties into a game's longevity when it comes to how long I'm playing them for. You look at Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which was something I got stuck into earlier this year. That was a game that, in the transition from Wildlands to Breakpoint, added loot with which had rarity and had a sort of a power level associated with it. And you could definitely make an argument that that's a game that didn't need it. And it sometimes <laughs> didn't even feel like it existed. Like, weak weapons could still kill people and vice versa. Um, but it was part of the reason I kept going because I am a human and I like seeing those numbers go up and I like seeing shiny things and I like having a colour that denotes a rarity and killing an enemy and seeing that colour lying on the ground and thinking, I've got to go pick that up. What's it going to yeah. be? Purple or orange? Yeah. Or... Yes! I'm the, du- I'm the dude that, while I do fall off those games, I've played both Division games, I've played Des- both Destiny games, played Ghost Recon Breakpoint, I've played all the Assassin's Creed's, played the you know Diablo 3 and all these games that are going increasingly in that that direction, and more often than not, they do a number on me. And I think this could well be be the same. I don't know. It's it's a weird one because I never I never like um, I never like the idea of getting things. I mean, we said it affects your power level. Like, it's, as long as the in game stuff is what affects your power level and what you can pay for only affects cosmetics. I think as well, comic book lore, especially you know like Marvel, there yeah. is so much to draw from. Um, if you really want to spend two, three quid, or, or I have no idea how much they'll charge, on a, uh, a loot box that might give you the um, uh, Hulkbuster armor, mm-hmm. or some sort of weird Hulkbuster, obviously not the armor because it'd be massive, but no, the it's, in, it's in the Hulk- game. It's in the game. They, they showed oh, but, it. I'm sh- but I'm sure it's linked to a section as opposed you're, you're to, right. I don't think you could buy it because you'd be massively. You can't suddenly be like four <laughs> times the size. So, but let's say like a uh, noir, like noir Spider-Man. The suit is in uh, the Marvel Spider-Man game, right? So you can get, yes. and obviously you don't pay Which, for it. Yeah, none, no, no microtransactions in Marvel Spider-Man. No, 
But if that if, if Spider-Man was in this game and the, the noir Spider-Man was something you could get and it was a legendary and it was, you know, it's very hard to come by and I got it, I would feel, I would think that was fine. I'd be like, oh, I don't feel, I don't feel annoyed the fact that I paid for it because I didn't need it to play the game. I just like the noir Spider-Man. Um, yeah. And there are so many, you know... I guess like Spider Gwen. Thing, if like, I can become, is, is Spider Man even in this? Probably not. I guess not. Not confirmed yet. Not confirmed. I think so far it's Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Black Widow, and Thor, and then right. Kamala Khan, um, who I forget her. What's her fucking superhero name? Kamala Khan. How am I forgetting that? No idea. Um, is that the girl with the the, the who gets big fists? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I don't know what her name is. Uh, yes, that that is, and she is the big fist girl. Um, fucking hell! Why isn't why isn't it just telling me? Career, Mrs. blah blah blah. blah. Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel. Oh, Miss Marvel instead of uh, Miss Marvel. Marvel. Yes. Um, I think that's who she is. Anyway, I think she's Miss Marvel. Um, and they've also confirmed that I think one of the Pims. So Ant Man is going to be coming later right. down the line, and little things like that. Um, oh, like that sounds. If 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 you can shrink like tiny, and yeah. everything in the game looks huge, that would be brilliant. I mean, yeah, that. if they work out smart ways to to make that work, then then that's great. Um, but yeah, I, I, can't, say, I can't remember who else they've confirmed. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's so many var- like, and when it comes to like like we said, comic book, there's so many variations of just look and uh, like yeah, that's where and, that, and that's where I'm going to come down on it. Right, is that there are so many variants, like you said, Josie, they could potentially put in the game. If they pull a huge amount of skins and the overwhelming majority of them are unlocked through gameplay and progression, and there are maybe a few little additional things here and there that are hid behind a paywall, I can maybe see that. But if I get into the game and by completing the game and doing a whole bunch of shit, I have 50% of the skins and the remaining 50% are all paid for on an individual basis and some of them are way cooler than anything I've got, I'll be like, that sucks. That sucks. Right. I want to be able to look as cool as I want to look by playing the game. See, I, I suppose I come down on... I don't mind even if I had like 10% of the skins. If I had... And there was 90% that I could still get. But every time a skin drops, I have the chance, even if it's a 0.001% chance of getting a legendary skin that is mm. the most sought-after skin in the whole game. Oh, as yeah. long as I have that chance... If you have a chance, great. Yeah, but, uh, but the that's... way they the way they phrased it, there were some things that can only be bought. Oh, only okay. Well, that, like, I mean, that's like, less cool. That's even less Battlefront cool. Two at this time, a point in time, doesn't have that. Like every skin in Battlefront Two is either attached to a milestone or can be bought with the currency that you earn by playing. If Marvel's yeah, I mean, Ave- not... if Marvel's Avengers goes in the direction of hey, this skin for this character can only be bought, that's trouble. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't like that. Like, I don't think they should do that at all. That, I think it that, has to be linked, even if it's insanely, like, unlikely. Yeah. You still have to have the, the possibility. Way they, the way they phrased it, it made it sound like some things might be only uh, accessible via purchase. I don't even know why you do that though, because if you made something like, if you had like an ultra legendary <laughs> item, d- I mean, you do know why you you do that. No, no, because I was going to say, like, let's say you have, um, let's say there's uh, 250,000 people that play the game and one person through probability gets this super legendary skin. Like, they probably never would have bought it anyway. And now that's not going to stop some whale coming in and spending 50 quid to buy that skin because they want it. Like, I don't know. It seems, it seems odd. Like, that, that to me seems slightly odd. Yeah. Even if, if I had the tiniest chance, I'd be cool with it. Hmm. 
We'll see what it ends up being when that game comes <laughs> out. Uh, later in September, which, like we said, is now a month, it largely has pretty much to itself in AAA terms, thanks to the delay of Cyberpunk 2077. But otherwise, Jonesy, that basically brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Um, so thank you very much for joining me. And uh, thank you very much to all of you who uh, listened and watched along, whether that was on YouTube or any number of podcast platforms. And once again, I will say thank you to anyone that liked this video on YouTube. Maybe you left a comment down below, in which case we don't worry. We do read absolutely every one of them. And we'll be looking for a potential comment of the week, of course, for next week's episode. If you did, however, listen to this on a podcasting platform, please do consider leaving a five-star review. And of course, one last plug for the Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash super show. We've got more shit coming out there really soon, including that reaction to the Cyberpunk 2077 live stream that will be kicking off shortly after we finish recording this, actually, Jonesy. We're going to have like 45 minutes of downtime before we're, yeah. we're right back in the fold. And let me Absolutely. tell you something, peek behind the curtain. I need to eat something or drink something because I've been <laughs> like not quite lightheaded, but I've been spaced out for the last half an hour. Was that obvious? <laughs> Uh, no, it wasn't at all. You did a fantastic job of hosting. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, no, thank you for uh, being a wonderful co-host and guest, and more importantly, perhaps, of all, a friend. Um, and I really do value everything about you, to be honest. And I think, Cheers, the, I think the folks at home do too. Uh, leave a comment down below. Let us know how much you love Jonesy. And I think, what would what we do for a little special message this week? Oh, blimey. Um, I don't even know. Jonesy's uh, wet feet. Jonesy's wet feet. Jonesy's go. wet feet. There's a little special I apologise. If you did manage to make it to the end of this slog of a podcast, as some of you somehow managed to do week in, week out, which we always appreciate, please let us know by leaving the comment, Jonesy's wet feet down below, so we know that you made it to the end and that somehow people are putting up with, what, like an hour and 45, an hour and 40 minutes of this? I'm not sure how much preamble there was this time. Anyway, yeah. that about does it for this week's episode. Once again, thank you all for watching and listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. See ya.